For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're continuing on with the 25 Years series today, and we've got a great guest, Frazier Tufar. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yep. All right. Uh, Frazier's here, and he's got a great topic, uh, talking about the changes between 2010 in the playoff loss to Pittsburgh and the 2014 playoff win over Pittsburgh, which, to my way of thinking, really uh, lifted the curse that Pittsburgh had over Baltimore in a lot of sports. Yeah, it's uh, it's very evident because a lot of people, when they play the Pittsburgh Steelers, especially as Ravens fans, it's almost we counted in as a loss, especially when Big Ben was in that quarterback pre-2010 playoff year. So it's going to be an interesting way when we dive it in. All right. So uh, give a little historical framework for this. The, the Kind of the story of my youth in terms of the 70s, the first two World Series games I got to go to were in 71 and 79. Uh, 71 game seven I went to and then 79 I went to all of them, but, but it, watched the Pirates twice beat the Orioles on their home turf in the World Series. And that's a really tough thing to watch for, for a kid. And then uh, uh, we come along and the, and the Early Steelers really dominated the Ravens. Certainly, there were you know some good wins for the Ravens at, at at times. One in '96 in particular, but they they build up a big lead in the in the uh, series against the Ravens, and in particular in the early Harbaugh uh, years, they had one of their real periods of dominance. So, in 2008, they beat the Ravens three times, including that playoff. Yep loss in the AFC Championship, and then 2009, the Ravens won one of those two games without. 
without Ben in. Yeah, without Ben in. So it didn't count. That's it. But by the way, that's the way the Steelers fans look at it, right? Yeah, of course. They always think yeah. if uh, Ben's in there, it counts. If he's not, it was just a game. Yeah. The other thing about Pittsburgh, by the way, they've been around since 1933. But if you didn't know it, before the Immaculate Reception, Pittsburgh never had a football team. They never want to talk about anything. And I would say to a lower, de- to a lesser degree, the Ravens are the same way in that they really don't acknowledge a lot of their pre-2000 history uh, the same way I would like. You know, they say they got they got the dark years. They've got 2000 to 2007, the kind of, which is kind of the, the Billick era, which eliminates a year of the Billick era. And then they, the Harbaugh era. Uh, and they kind of look at it. They, their media guides all laid out in, in, the, in that way. Yeah. Pittsburgh fans get tired with their, uh, their championship talk. Toma, we have six, seven. I mean, if you look at it, since the Ravens been an organization and franchise established as the Ravens, 25 years, we have the same amount of Super Bowls. So there you go. I don't think they really have any more to talk about. There you go. So let's talk about about you know where you were in 2010 and 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 tell the story the way you'd like because this is this is the fun of the series is people coming in and and talking about the 2010 game and how it impacted them and and maybe what they saw and then how what differences you saw in 2014. Uh, well, 2010, I was about maybe probably 11 or 12 years old, so I was still a naive fan. Um, came off a really good win, road win, playoff wild card against KC. I've never seen Joe play like that ever. That was probably one of his most clutches games because we came into KC. First drive wasn't look too good. And then, boom, offense lit up. So, going into that game, we beat Pittsburgh once uh, with that Hushimzada catch in the corner of the end zone. Mm-hmm. And then we lost to Ben. That was the broken nose game. Uh, so, this game, it was looking like almost a coin flip. I mean, we were coming in hot as on offense. They were coming off a bye, and it just set up for another AFC North showdown. The Steelers had won the division in 2010, correct, I think, yes? Yep, yep. Got a first-round yeah. bye. No. And, uh, and so this was, right, this was a divisional game. So, right, the Ravens had beaten the crap out of the Chiefs 30-7 to in a game where that the, the Ravens' defense, particularly that fourth quarter against Matt Castle, oh, looked yeah. fantastic. So, uh, so I, I, I came in high expectations into this game, too. So take us kind of through some of your thoughts about the game as it as it played out. Um, when we go up twenty one to seven at halftime, as a young naive fan, I'm like, I can't wait to go back to school and tell my friends, like, oh my god, we won! We're going to the AFC Championship game. Mm-hmm. And little by little, play by play, Pittsburgh inched their way back in. Yeah, I, I, I kind of want to get into a little bit of the building the lead stuff and, and not in any great detail because I, I don't think this serves a lot. But a, a great play in Ravens history, which is often forgotten, was a ball where Ben was sacked in the pocket, fumbled the ball forward. Everybody on Pittsburgh thought it was an incomplete pass. And in fact, you can see them on the broadcast going back to huddle and Corey Redding had the alertness to pick up the football, run in the end zone, and the, the the official was right there to call it a touchdown immediately. That was the ruling on the field. It didn't get changed. And in one of the really weird touchdowns in the rivalry's history, and that's saying a lot, uh, you know, that that uh, well, was a big score for the Ravens. I think, I, I don't remember, that put them up 14-7? to 14-7, 14-7. Yeah, and it was, ironically, the Ravens don't get those bounces against Pittsburgh. Usually, we're the ones on the other end of those really wacky turnovers, but... Mm-hmm. We got that turnover, and ironically, I think either the next drive or the drive after that, 
Pittsburgh came out with another fumble. Uh, Rashad Mendenhall actually fumbled on his own man, and uh, Ravens picked back up. And then after that, I'm pretty sure three plays later, Flacco found Todd Heap, corner to end zone. Ravens up 21-7 to before half. Yeah, I, I thought we had it there. We were at the game, and, and I thought, boy, that will do it. Yeah. Um, uh, a 14-point lead, you know, a, a three-point lead, even a, even a 10-point lead sometimes maybe, but two-touchdown lead, that really should be safe. Yeah, it was I, – I was ready, geared up. I couldn't wait to go to school, but – Camp Cameron comes out with a Camp Cameron drive offensively. This is what got him fired. Uh, what did we go? It was a run pass. It was either run, run pass or just Camp Cameron type play calling. We really can't say anything else about it. Yeah, it was a sack and then a fumble by Ray Rice, which I thought was a real turning point in that third quarter. Third down, yeah, on that first yeah. drive, yeah. All right. So and then they, they only took two plays to score. Of course, they were at the 23-yard line when they started it. Um, and yeah, that you, got it. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And then if you look at uh, after that fumble by Ray Rice, and I'm pretty sure the touchdown pass went to Heath Miller, mm-hmm. Pittsburgh was rocking. I mean, the camera was shaking. You can tell they were back in the game after that Heath Miller touchdown. It just took one score after half. Right. So the Ravens had a, a three-play drive, which was – Sack run incomplete. And then, the, and then the, the Steelers got the ball back. They amazingly didn't score then, they, but they got to the 48-yard line, kicked it in the end zone, and then, and then the Ravens had a one-play interception. So the Ravens – and this is kind of a, a recurring theme against Pittsburgh is these key turnovers at key moments against the Ravens. And, and I think I remember hearing Collinsworth say, maybe it was on the Ray Rice fumble or maybe it was on this interception – and maybe I have the wrong game. You you watched on YouTube recently. Was Collinsworth doing the game? Um, I'm not too sure. I don't think so. Okay, might might not have been because it might have been an AFC CBS it was game. Dan Deardorff and uh, I forgot the other guy's name. Okay. Um, yeah, it was CBS though. Okay. So uh, what I remember, maybe then this is from a different game because it was definitely Collinsworth's voice saying, I've seen this movie before. And I think they were referring back to the 2010 game and, you know, key turnovers coming up during a Pittsburgh comeback. Yeah, it's always you can never count Pittsburgh out. I think it was after that game. Every time we're up against Pittsburgh, especially the Immaculate Extension game, that was the game I was everyone happy on Christmas that we're winning. And then I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, we have to wait till it's 0 0 because I've seen this team come back too many times for it to be a win yet. <laughs> All right. So that game wasn't over. Even into the fourth quarter, the, the, the Flacco led a drive to get him back tied at 24 uh, with a little under four minutes to go, and Pittsburgh got the ball. And then the big play was that third and 19 where Roethlisberger threw to Antonio Brown for 58 yards. And uh, before that throw to Antonio Brown, uh, Anquan Bolden actually had a chance to get the go-ahead touchdown to put them up. I think it was either four at the time, four, mm-hmm. and missed that opportunity. But that big play to Brown, if you look at it, the Ravens are back 10, 15 yards off the ball. To let that go, and it's behind Ladarius Webb, too, who became one of our best corners of the year after. So, really shocking to see. He was probably the NFL's best corner back in 2011. 2010, still coming back from that injury at the end of 2009. Really sad what happened to Webb's career. Yeah, he was a he great, was great player. Really good nickel black. 
Uh, but anyways, third and 19. So it's not a terrible time to be playing off the sticks from the Pittsburgh 38 to be, you know, playing the, playing the marker as opposed to, uh, you know, being up in press coverage, say. Right. Uh, but that play, that was really one of the big turning points. And unfortunately, a big spike in the Ravens in terms of this one. Yeah, I mean, that was that was the dagger almost. Uh, we had a chance to come back. Uh, they pooped, they pooch punted to Lamar McLean, and we had the ball almost at midfield. And mm-hmm. I think we go pass, incomplete, Joe overthrows, sack, mm-hmm. uh, incompletion, and then TJ Kishwanzada drops the ball right in his hands, right. screaming for the ball that week and the week before. Can't come up with the play this time, so... He was he was right at the sticks, pretty much as how I recall it. Maybe it would have been a first down, yeah. as I recall it. But, yeah. uh, but yeah, it was a it was a it looked even worse on TV than it did in person. I thought that that okay, you know, it's a contested catch. He's not going to make that every time. But then when I look at it on video, and you've you've just looked recently, it looked pretty bad, didn't it? I, I don't even know what he was looking at, what he was afraid of. He, yeah, that's one that we can put in the books with Lee Evans. <laughs> All right. So, you know, the, the, the days are short, short, but the, but the, uh, sorry, the days are long, but the years are short. And in between this game and the 2014 game where the curse is finally lifted, the Ravens actually win a Super Bowl. Yeah. They, they, they lose to the Patriots and then they, and then they basically win the rematch with the Patriots the next year, but they don't get the rematch with the Steelers in the playoffs until 2014. Right. That's, it's ironic how some of this stuff works. You got to really build, 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 and then you get redemption later down when you really show your worth, really show what you did. Well, let's talk about that 2014 game a lot. Another game we, we enjoyed being at that one as well. That's uh, Tell us, kind of, have you watched it again recently? Uh, they don't have the full game, so I really couldn't get a real okay. glance. But I watched some highlights. Uh, it's... I really enjoyed watching Jerry, I mean, Gary Kubiak and what he did with the Ravens offense. I mean, just a turnaround from what it was years before mm-hmm. we had Jim Caldwell in at 13. It's scary to think what we would have did if he didn't go to Broncos the year after. We could have really did some damage in the AFC. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the 2015 Ravens are probably too injured to make use of it, but the 16-17 but the Ravens certainly could have benefited from having Kubiak around. And uh, they, they got down 3 nothing in this game, and they came back with two second-quarter touchdowns to go up 14-3. to three. Uh, Bernard Pierce uh, did some positive things in this game. Actually, I, that's not right. They went up 10-6, to six, didn't they, in the second quarter. They got an exchange of field goals after Bernard Pierce's touchdown. Right. All right, and then 10-9 to nine at the half. Uh, Sean Sweesome, there's a, there's a kicker's name that I hadn't really remembered from the, from the Steelers of the era. Long time. You you had some other things to say though about like how you're observing certain Ravens or the coaches during this period. So one thing I've really honed in on is uh, after that 2010 loss to Pittsburgh, uh, John Harbaugh in his career was completely turned around. He became the leader who he is today, and I feel like the 2014 game epitomizes that. Uh, four years late, four years before, he wasn't able to win this kind of game. He's not wasn't really mentally mentally strong enough, wasn't carrying the team. He wasn't really being the leader he needed to be as a head coach. And after those years of working, winning a Super Bowl 
and getting back to the position in 2014 to have a rematch with the Steelers, you can really see that they took their they took their losses in the beginning and they put their foot on the gas instead of playing conservative like they did the 2010 game. Because once they got up big, it seemed like, okay, we can just take our foot off the throttle, cruise our way to the AFC Championship game, but definitely took the complete opposite approach this time. Big second half for the Ravens. Uh, they outscored the, the Pittsburgh 20-8 to eight, uh, during the second half. They were, so they, they led 10-9 to nine and they ended up winning 30-17. to 17. Uh, they actually extended the league out to 30 to 15 at one point. Uh, some of the things are going very differently uh, for the Ravens in this game. The big, the big play that, you know, I think a lot of people remember, but they can't necessarily place it in this game was with eight ten to go in the fourth quarter and the, and the Steelers trailing by eight points. So certainly you're still in fear of the Steelers and Roethlisberger at this point. Um, Terrell Suggs intercepted a ball directly between his legs, which is one of the funniest things you'll ever see, uh, on, a, on a big third and four play. And he maintained possession of it. Ravens took over at the, at the Pittsburgh 21, and they scored immediately on a pass to Crockett Gilmore. Yeah, and when you look back after the interception by Suggs, you can see him and John Harbaugh have an interaction on the sideline, and you probably wouldn't see that in 2010 because Harbaugh just came in two years ago the Terrell Suggs has been a wily vet in the Ravens organization and for him to be able to go four years more down the road have that kind of continuity with the team and the leaders like him it really shows for his uh his change so I I'm, I'm I missed your point there so so their 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 conversation on the sideline was a reproachful one before the play or it was a, a static one after the play a static after so that's got to be good that's got to be good things yeah yeah oh, yeah um, right. And also, sorry, um, the play calling right after the interce- the interception. I mean, you come out, you come swinging, you make sure you go for the kill shot. It's not mm-hmm. it's not just sitting back, letting them make the mistake. You got to go out there and win the game. Yeah, it was a, it was a, a good play. How I recall it is, maybe Gilmore caught the ball around the fifteen yard line and then had a, a completely clear sailing to go in the end zone. So probably a real good clear out scheme of some sort by Kubiak. Uh, to get that play set up. Yeah, it was his typical bootleg action. I think he had uh, Crockett Gilmore and a fullback, and they just came out underneath, swung. Rest is history. Yeah. Now this is this is the year of the Ravens' super pass rush. They well the second one. This they had fifty six sacks. Uh, Elvis Dumerville was there, and uh, Suggs was there. And Suggs' big contribution wasn't a sack in this game. Uh, but the Ravens certainly had a, a tremendous sack pack that year. And they sacked Roethlisberger five times for 37 in this game. Uh, some of the really big plays. Yeah, the pass rush, it's, it was daunting back then. I mean, the stuff that we're begging for now, only if we had a fraction of that from back then, it would be okay. All right, let's try to see who had these sacks here. It looks like Brandon Williams had a sack and Alodi Nada had a sack. You know you're having a good day when that happens. Especially Brandon Williams. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Doomerville had two sacks, and Courtney Upshaw had what a, a sack. What a name. What a name. There you go. Yeah, you, don't, you don't see that very often. I, all right, I, I, other, are there other things that you look at in this game? Because certainly, for me, it ended the curse, and it was a long curse. I mean, it was a 40-year curse going back to really about 1971 in terms of, of Pittsburgh versus Baltimore sports. Yeah, I mean, it's the proof's in the pudding. As soon as the Ravens lost that game to the 
than the 2010 to the Pittsburgh Steelers. They come out and smash them week one, 35 to seven. And we go down to Pittsburgh. Joe Flacco's taking down the field. Torrey Smith touchdown, 23 to 20. I'm pretty sure that ended everything that goes on with Baltimore, Pittsburgh. Well, on the side that the Ravens can't beat Pittsburgh because now we have all the credentials in the world. Right. So it's it's uh, that rivalry has been. I mean, the Ravens always have, have had some really nice high points in this rivalry. The two thousand six, they outscored them fifty eight to seven, for example. But but uh, you know, it's been a great rivalry. It's been something that, that that we can enjoy on both sides. But it's been a a more Ravens dominated rivalry in recent years, even though they lost both games last year to the uh, to the Steelers. Yeah, it's it's a love hate relationship right now because I mean, right now they can't seem to beat us. Like hopefully this coming Sunday we. We take care of business and we continue to be on top of the North, but I, I'll never forget the 2008 AFC championship loss. I was still 10 years old and I cried my eyes out. It hurt. It hurt. Like I, yeah. I was, I didn't really, wasn't really a big, big football time fan like I am now, but man, that was, that stung for a while. If I, if I look at the big four losses in Ravens history, maybe there's five I'll, I'll say, I would put the loss to the Colts after the 2006 season as the worst ever. That's like my worst ever football experience. And you were too young. I no, I was. I was watching the game. I'll never forget yeah. Jamal Lewis tripping over himself and. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot, a lot of things got, went wrong in that game, but I, I just I couldn't inflict myself on other people after that game. I you know went straight home and and, uh, and got to work on the analysis. The only thing that's going to make me feel even a little better. And then I put that Tennessee loss in two, after the 2019 season second. Um, it was bad. Um, you know, it, it was a great Ravens season. Uh, it, nothing was guaranteed in terms of of who the Ravens were, but unfortunately, it was a big opportunity lost for Lamar Jackson to get to a Super Bowl. Yeah, I think that was the golden ticket right there. Uh, it, it was weird because that before that game, the wind just uh, it didn't feel like we were going to win. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone else had that feeling, but yeah, something was not right about that night. I just don't know what it was. Now, did you if did you have to go to that game or did you were you in the outstairs or outside downtown or anything? I was driving past downtown and it wasn't as loud as you would usually be. And it was, I don't know, the atmosphere wasn't, there wasn't enough to par what you think a big time Ravens game would be. One of the first things that really catch, uh, catches me is when I would go to a stadium, it'd be windy at the beginning of the game in the Ray Lewis era and the Joe Flacco era. Um, extremely that's extremely good conditions both those players highly wind resistant as i'll put it the ravens defense in 2000 obviously would love a high wind game because they didn't depend on their quarterback and they could make life absolutely miserable for the opponent uh and it, you know it was true in the flacco area too because he could throw a snowball through a blast furnace and not get it soggy he, yeah. he had a, he just a marvelous arm but it, it, the lamar era lamar is a little bit more dependent on touch and he has a strong arm but he but he but he allows his throws to be more dependent on touch. There's more sailing um, and, and things that happen. Unfortunately, that Tennessee game, that very first interception, which put the Ravens in the hole, was wind-aided, then tipped by Andrews, interception by Bayard, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and that really set the thing in the wrong direction. So yep. Downhill from there. Anyway, Frazier, really appreciate having you on to, to talk about this and, and uh, lifting the curse at Pittsburgh is one of the really cool playoff games to to uh, uh, to watch. And uh, uh, tell folks where they can talk football with you. Uh, you can guys can reach me at Twitter. Uh, my handle is F underscore R-A-V-E eight. 
Uh, you can also reach me on Instagram at Frage underscore eight. Frage underscore eight or F underscore oh. Rave eight. Okay. All right. Outstanding. Thanks for, thanks for coming on the show. Other people out there, if you want to do a 25 years episode, still have a couple of slots where that's what we're down to right now. If you want want to get in, please do it quickly. Uh, send me a DM on Twitter and I'll get back to you as quickly as I can. And we'll get you on air. Uh, Frazier didn't take us too long to turn this around. I appreciate that. Uh, thanks for being able to, to join us today. No problem. And we'll talk to you next time on film study. <laughs> without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.